At Qualcomm, we believe in staying connected, and you can see us wherever 5G is helping transform telemedicine, supporting remote education, and powering mobile PCs. The Invention Age is here. Learn more at qualcomm.com slash invention age. Are you a star? I mean, could is there a star inside? Could you be a star? And now somebody say, well, no, I don't, I don't really have it in me. But the question is, do you have what it takes to be a star? Could you be one? And you know, some people, well, I'm not really interested, but star power has power. It's really powerful. For example, we have a new president who was a star of television, Donald Trump. And we have a lot of people who are stars who are infamous, like, you know, Al Capone. He was a star. People... People know who he was by name, although we'd probably kill you. But anyway, there's a lot of power in being a star. So today we have probably the most famous star maker of all on our program. And you're going to find out whether or not do you have a take, what it takes to be a star. And if you think you do, what can you do? Any comments, Kim? No, I'm excited about this show. This is a very, very special show because we have a legendary agent of Alice Cooper and countless celebrities, if you know the name Teddy Pendergrass or Luther Vandross. And if you've ever thought about where did these celebrity chefs come from? Did they just pop up? No, they didn't just pop up. They were created by our guest, who is a branding and marketing expert in the world of people and the world of turning people into celebrities and turning people into stars. So our, our guest is Shep Gordon. He's a legendary agent of Alice Cooper, one of our neighbors. And, uh, part of the golf course that Kim and I own. But, Shep, would you introduce yourself? And you, you had a documentary done, made for you. It's called Super Mensch, the legend, the legend of Shep Gordon, produced by Mike Myers. But the, see, the thing is, you're the guy that makes stars, but from what I read about you, you're a very quiet, behind-the-scenes guy. Is that correct? Um, yeah, it was more correct before the documentary in the book. <laughs> <laughs> that made you a star. <laughs> Just like everything else in life, it's a changing uh, landscape. Right. Um, and it was, uh, it was really interesting to hear you talking about stars and then talking about reality stars. Because I, I think it, it's really had a change over the course of my lifetime. My craft, my business, I always felt was taking uh, an artist in whatever field they were in, whether they were directing movies or singing ballads or um, playing jazz or cooking, taking artists, humans, who had become the best at their craft and who had a desire to spread that craft to the world, whether for ego reasons, monetary reasons, self-worth issues, needed people to tell them they were great, whatever their reason. First came the excellence in the craft, then came the path to stardom. I said, what, so what you're saying, so somebody who hasn't really achieved what is called professional success or stardom, they still have a ways to go yet. Yeah, well, it, it was an extension of your life's work. Yes. So Al Capone became a star because he was the greatest gangster. I, Michael I, Jackson became a great artist because 
he was able to be branded. If Michael Jackson had existed 100 years ago, he'd be a wandering minstrel. <laughs> Interesting. So a, a star becomes a, a combination of amazing talent, amazing devotion to your art. At least this is what it was. And then the concept of branding applied to that. I think what's happened over the last 15 or 20 years, particularly with the advent of reality TV shows, in the art forms that we knew, when I say we, my, my peers and my craft of how we made stars, it's very different. Um, now stars are made by the media, not through their life's work. I think it started with the Kim Kardashians and the Paris Hilton. Right, right, right. Right. And it's and it's certainly spread to other places. I mean, we now have a reality TV star who's become president. <laughs> there you go. Um, you know, and that's a, that's a big statement. It is. Um, uh, you know, uh, chefs like like um, Gordon Ramsay, who's probably a great chef, became famous through TV. Um, but so you all, that, you also you know, Nobu, right? The Japanese chef. Yeah, well, I worked with um, the first wave of chefs. I worked with Nobu and Emerald and Wolfgang Puck and Alice Waters, um, chefs who had become legendary because of their perfection of their skill, of their craft. But you saw you saw the chefs as a huge opportunity. Like you talk about the next wave. Yeah, what what did you see? Simple. What what did you see, and how did that all come about? Because these were I, just you know, it, came, it came about first out of a desire to do something for this class of artists that were being neglected. Um, I was mentored by a chef named Roger Verge, and I wanted to do something <clears> for the art form. And I had spent my life developing the kind of skills that they needed. But what was very obvious to me, from a business point of view, was I was living at a time when um, you could always, if you had enough money. The day of the Super Bowl, you could be sitting on the 50-yard line. If you got to New York and the sold-out Broadway play, if you had enough money, you could be sitting in the first 10 rows. You could buy your way into anything in the 70s, 80s, 90s if you had enough money. The one thing you couldn't buy your way into was restaurants. You couldn't get into Le Cirque or Spago or Charlie Trotters. I had an incident happen in my life with Charlie Trotters in Chicago where I was um, actually doing a rent deal, and I got a reduction of the rent because I was able to get the chairman of the board of the company that owned the uh, the mall into Charlie Trotters. He had been trying for a year. <laughs> um, and when you see that kind of demand, pent-up demand, that's the hardest part in monetizing a brand, is creating demand. So for me, as a brand builder of humans, when I saw the demand these humans had, I knew it was a... a a very logical step to monetize them. So let's let's take a, let's take a step to the left then. So if a person's listening right now, they're saying, "My God, I would I would like to be a star." The first step you would say they'd better you, they have better find their craft or their what they do well, what they have passion about, what they do well, and work at it, and work at it, and work at it, and in, and in this day and age. If it's a skill that lends itself towards media, you know, as a as a subminer, as we would say in college, you have your major and your subminer. Your minor would be media. So, how to translate your craft into the media? Okay, so you see this guy called Alice Cooper. What did you did you see it the stardom in him? Yeah, I, I didn't. I can't say I saw a stardom in Alice, but what I saw was, I think when I when I. 
I talk about waves um, and cultural waves. And my job is, I've always felt, putting a face on the wave. So the thing I saw with Alice was that he really turned off parents. A guy named <laughs> Alice Cooper wearing a dress. And what is one of the biggest cultural waves? Um, one of the biggest, cult- every child rebels against their parents at some point. That happens to every child. They, they walk across the street or they listen to different music than you listen to or they wear different clothes, or they get a tattoo because you don't like a tattoo, or they pierce their ear because you don't like piercing. And that's sort of healthy. I think, you know, I, was, I took psychology in school, and that's a healthy thing. Every child has to find its own feet. So there's this period of rebellion that's always reflected in music. Um, things like, I don't know if you're old enough to remember Elvis Presley appearing on the Ed Sullivan Show, right. and they wouldn't show his hips. Right. That played into rebellion of children. So every parent in America said, oh, how disgusting. They won't even show his hips. Right, right, knew, right. If you knew your parents didn't like it, you immediately you went it. out and bought an Elvis <laughs> record. So, Shep, um, is, that, is that still true today with everybody talking about oh, millennials? Yeah. I mean, I, I remember walking past my kid's room, hearing hip-hop music coming out of it, opening the door and saying, what is that junk you're listening mm-hmm. to? And then saying, oh, my God. It's going to be gigantic. <laughs> <laughs> so, with, so with Alice, you saw this kind of this rebellion piece yeah, to it. Then, and that's what, yeah, and then and it, that's it, what we played into. Our, how'd you do that? Our how'd... greatest moments were if we got banned in a city. <laughs> if you got banned in a city. That was our biggest. They tried to ban us in Parliament in London. And that was one, one of the biggest things we ever had for our career. And they, The thing that, that really broke them was a festival in Toronto. He went on before John Lennon. I threw a chicken up on stage. He threw the chicken out. The chicken uh, died a horrible death. Oh, no. And the next day it said, uh, Alice Cooper kills chicken and sucks its blood. Oh, oh my goodness. That went, and then he went viral. And that went viral. And we had the ASPCA at every show. Oh, my goodness. And, you know, that would fuel the newspaper. We'd bring them to New York, tried to ban us. Everybody tried. But once they said ban... Every kid went to buy tickets. So is that is that still human psychology today? Oh yeah, absolutely. It hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. It's just what's get, what gets what yeah. gets banned is next. Yeah. Well, what you know, watch the Grammys. You know, at, at our age, you watch the Grammys and half the music you don't even understand. We were at the Golden Globes. I knew nothing. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's the power of it. Yeah. You know, it is a changing world, and, and the kids own it, and that's really the power. For me, it was always those waves. Yeah catching the waves and putting a face on it because the wave's going to happen. Always going to be a sex star in music. There's always going to be somebody singing ballads that play the romance because romance is a giant wave for everybody growing up. Right. So, you know, Teddy Pendergrass, the part of the wave that he was part of was sex. It was pure, raw sex. Well, that's but why we I don't know who he is. <laughs> yeah, no, he, was, he was a great one. He was called the Black Elvis. Uh, I kind of know Johnny, John, you know, what's it, John Denver. <laughs> hey, so we come back. Uh, we're, uh, we're interviewing Shep Gordon. The question to all of you listening today is, are you a star? Could you be a star? Do you want to be a star? What is, do you have what it takes? So Shep Gordon is a legendary agent of Alice Cooper who lives right next to us as well as plays golf at our golf course and 
he shops. We ran into, we ran into Alice last time in Sydney, Australia. We're shopping out there, and he's a great guy. But it still took a guy like Shep Gordon to craft him, to make sure he became the star that he already was. So when we come back, we'll be asking, you know, Shep's talking about the waves that come throughout society, you know, what's coming next and all this, and who the next stars are. You know, who knows? And Might I be you. Shep Gordon, and he is the author of the book, They Call Me Superman, and also in the movie, not Netflix documentary, Supermensch, the legend of Shep Gordon. But he is the guy that makes people like Alice Cooper rock stars and cooks rock stars. So you can listen to the Rich Dad radio program on your time and your schedule. It's available on iTunes and Android. And all of our programs are archived at richdadradio.com. The reason we archive them is because we're an education, financial education company. And the way a person learns is via repetition. For actually, don't for example, you don't become a great golfer playing playing golf once. You repeat, repeat, repeat. So you listen to this program again, and you can find out whether or not you are the next rock star coming up, or if you have friends or family have them listen who want to be rock stars or whatever stars they are. You can listen to this program again with Chef Gordon. He's a legendary agent of Alice Cooper and countless others. Celebrities, Kim. And also, um, he's Shep is the one that brought the whole concept of celebrity chefs with Emeril and Wolfgang Puck and uh, Nobu and all those guys. So, um, Shep, here, here's the question is you talk about waves and putting – you like to put a face on the wave. So is there a new wave up and coming that you, that you see? Yeah, it, it, I think it's gotten a little cloudy since the election. But I, I get asked this a lot um, – it seems to me it's fairly obvious that, that there's the this gigantic um, wave of cannabis use, both for medical and for recreational. Huh. And um, it's driven by artists. It's driven in the same way whiskeys were driven by artists, chefs were driven by artists. But there's no face to the movement. There's no person that anybody can name. No. So I guess um, that leaves me out because I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't do that stuff. But I think when you look at the economics and you look at the waves in our culture, for me as a cultural guy, right? Yep. And they said for medicinal purposes, yep. and even my doctor is saying to use it, except that it's still illegal. So, yeah, no, I think it's um, particularly for veterans, particularly for uh, young people going through spasms. There, is, I, th- I think there's real cancer. problems. There's real problems and that there's no way to calibrate it yet. Mm. So things like edibles are very dangerous. Not like, in the, you know, I take an Ambien when I'm traveling, and I can moderate and take a 5 milligram. If, I, if I'm sleeping for four or five hours, if I have a full night's sleep, I may take a whole one. And that's what's important in medicines. I take a, one Lipitor. Other people take four. But you can calibrate them. There's no way to calibrate the cannabis the industry yeah. at this point. But I think um, so. What I, ha- I, I know so- that you know. I I have great friends who have entered the business in a very big way. Celebrities like Willie Nelson's faces on it, Bob Marley. I've seen that. Yep. Um, and and they're being very successful. But it's very much like um, when I started in the food business. The faces of the food were Chef Boyardee or Aunt Jemima. That's <laughs> right. Um, it wasn't the people who actually grew or made the food, in this case, grew the cannabis. 
it's really the growers that are the real stars and the doctors who are doing the thing. The other thing that I liked about your work is that your business philosophy is definitely not just talk about win-win. It really is win-win. Yeah, because I mean, because I mean, you do deals on handshakes. Yeah, and 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 especially in your industry, I mean, that you, the entertainment industry is known to be very cutthroat, very doggy dog. Yet your business philosophy is not that. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's for a variety of reasons. It's for very selfish reasons as well as. Um, the right reasons, compassionate reason. It's, it's just the right, right way to do business. But you know, I, when you manage someone's, when you manage an artist, it's a very different kind of business than any other kind of business because that artist only has one life. So you can leave them; they still have their life. It's very different than my selling, um, you know, pots and pans. This is a human being who has a life. So if you rape and pillage to get the most out of every situation, that artist, whether you're with them or not, along the path of life, everything that goes up must come down. They're going to run into those same people again. And they're either going to be standing there with a baseball bat or they're going to pick them up and help them. And I've seen that so many times over the long run because my job isn't to make somebody a few dollars and get them out. It's to give them a career for their life. I've been with my artist. You know, Alice is 47 years. Teddy, till he died, was 20 years. Luther went there. All my artists I stayed with for years. So I, I think my philosophy of win-win is, is selfish as well as compassionate. Um, and you, you're going to die. That's what I tell all my artists. You know, you, We're all going to die. Be proud of what you do while you're living and take chances. But be proud of it. If you're in a power position, you don't have to beat somebody up unless you have to. There are times, sadly, when you're not given a choice. I remember um, giving Motley Crue their first tour. Motley. Oh, Robert, and, Robert uh, represented that was, them. That was one of my bands. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I think we gave them their first tour. And in those days, groups were paying to be the opening act. Ah. They would pay two, three, four hundred dollars $400. A record company would pay to get the band on. So that Motley's record company paid to get them on. And I went to Alice and I said, you know, they're like human beings. They're not going to make a dime. They're going to have to sleep in their van. Um, $500 a night's not going to make a difference in your life. Why don't we just take the money, not tell the record company, and give it to them? <laughs> um, which we did. And they were able to stay in a hotel, maybe all of them in one room, but at least they could stay in a hotel. And Alice just finished 110 dates supporting Motley Crue for a lot of money. And I'm sure that was part of the decision. Uh, that's that's a that was the best part about uh, well people may not know I was in the rock and roll business too and it was a great business because I met great people and great artists and uh, this is Robert Kiyosaki the Rich Dad Radio Show we're talking to all of you out there who think you might be a star or have star power or star potential our guest today is Shep Gordon he's a legendary agent for Alice Cooper and Council of the Celebrities featured on next Netflix documentary Supermensch the legend of Shep Gordon and author of They Call Me Supermensch, a backstage pass to the amazing worlds of film, food, and rock and roll. And my first date with Kim, our first date was to the police. The right? police, rock and roll. Oh, I'm a rock and roll yeah, fan. Oh, yes, I am. And, you know, like uh, Shep, when I met her father, you know, I mean, he goes, I was getting pretty serious about his daughter. And he goes, so do you have a job? And I went, no. 
<laughs> and so I put I put on my rock, my Rolling Stones tour jacket and walked out the door. <laughs> His, he was a little bit worried about what the people at the country club would say. I don't, I don't think Robert was his first choice. <laughs> still doesn't have a job. No, yeah. still doesn't have a job. <laughs> hey, let, let me ask you this, Shep, because you, you create rock stars. That's what you do. And, you know, we have a lot of business owners, entrepreneurs on our show. Shouldn't they in many ways also be rock stars? And how would they? Um, how would they do that? I mean, if somebody is like the owner of this business, they they're making a statement. How do they become a rock star? Well, I think it, it depends if um, the first thing they have to do is really define life goals. What what their goal is, what you're trying to get to, what where the best energy can be put in. So it depends what kind of a business they have. If they have a business where their profile can increase business then they need to think about do they want to deal with everything that goes along with being a public figure um, loss of some privacy just there's a, you know, a lot of things to deal with family interactions um, whether it involves travel and then if they make the decision that this is all good in their life the first place they have to start is with a a PR branding person who has some understanding of of how the uh, how the media works and how to get them into it. So I think each, it's a difficult question to answer in, in a void. Yeah, because, you know, it's interesting because Robert's rich dad, they, they actually had that decision to make, and he went to the family, and he said either we can be celebrities or we can be anonymous. And they chose to remain anonymous because they wanted to protect their privacy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and I so think that's the first important step, and I think all the choices are right. Yeah. There is no right choice. I always say, and I don't mean it in a, in a dark way, everyone is going to die. So fill up the middle with what you know, what you want. If you get a clear vision of what you want, go for it. Don't be fed, scared to fail. Well, let me ask you this question because it's kind of in my area. Is you know, with unemployment, you know, people go to school and they can't still can't find a job, and so there's this uh, people becoming entrepreneurs now. Which is why Kim's father said. Don't you have a job yet? I said, no, I don't want one. But I was an entrepreneur, you know, years and years ago. And today, now it's becoming kind of popular. You look at, you know, the right. what's that, yeah. what's that oh. movie, Shark Tank. You have Mark Cuban in it. Yeah, then oh, you have, no, no, definitely very the very different landscape again. Yeah, yeah. Marcus Malonis with um, what do you Profit. The Profit, and all these things now. And that's a small thing. Do you think becoming an entrepreneur would ever become a cult? Because you have you have Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, Zuckerberg, and all that. They're entrepreneurs. Oh yeah, and they're huge stars. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean what? huge stars. Yeah, I think you know, industry is, takes its place next to music. Elon Musk is. Yeah, definitely. You know, as uh, probably the hottest ticket you can have in a room. I don't know. I don't know if Mick Jagger or Elon Musk would have a bigger line at a reception. <laughs> interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, they have really taken their place. I thought. There was a brilliant thing that um, Joseph Campbell, who lived in Honolulu, the philosopher, right. um, said. He said, you, you know, you can tell what's important and what has priority in a culture by getting in a car and driving into any major city. He said, in the early days, the tallest building was the church, and the church ruled, and they were the stars. The next you drive up 200 years later, and it's the city uh, 
you know, the city council building. Governments take over the power. Government becomes the stars. The last 20, 25 years, you pull into the town, and it's the financial institutions yep. that have the tallest building. Yep. And it's the businessmen who are the stars. And that's what we're going through now, I think, you know. So it's our special guest today is Shep Gordon. He is a legendary agent of Alice Cooper and countless other celebrities. He's featured in the Netflix, Netflix documentary, Supermensch, The Legend of Shep Gordon. My first quick question, what does Supermensch, what is a mensch? Mensch is a Jewish word for somebody who makes the right choices. Wow. Ah, okay, Supermensch. And your book is called They Call Me Supermensch, a backstage pass to the amazing worlds of film, food, and rock and roll. Yeah, published by Anthony Bourdain, which I'm very proud perfect. of. Perfect, perfect. Yeah, if you talk to Anthony, tell him I love his program. I will. He's, he's, he's a lot of depth to his eating show, per se. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I have a, qu- a question, Shep, is that um, shortly after you, quote, retired, you were down in Mexico, in Cabo San Lucas, Mexico, with uh, Sammy Hager, your friend, and you walked into this cantina and discovered a tequila. And yep. today it's called Cabo Wabo Tequila. It was started from nothing, and now it's an international brand. How the heck did you do that? <laughs> you drank a lot for inspiration. Yeah, I, know. I drank a lot. Oh, my God. Uh, but it's a, actually, it's a, great, um, it's a great exercise. It started with Sammy wanting me to do something with him. And I wasn't sure. I had, real, I had retired. I didn't want to do a lot. Was this the family? Um, no, oh. I just didn't really want to do it. I just oh, felt okay. like I needed a break. No, I mean, so I went, he, he wanted I to do something down. with him or the family? No, I just didn't want to do anything with anybody. Oh, okay. Okay, good. Um, I just wanted to take a break. I, I just wanted to try and find out what my life was. I'd always spent my time living other people's lives. But I went down with him. He's a good friend. And they had on the bar this um, keg, and it was great tequila. And we started talking. We drank too much of it. And we started talking, what if, what if. And I said, you know, rather than manage your career or do restaurant, um, I think you need to readjust the way you look at yourself. You're looking at yourself as a singer. You're a lifestyle. Think of yourself as a lifestyle. Think, look at what Jimmy Buffett did. Let's just take his highway. Why reinvent anything? Let's just take it to a higher level. He did a very low-end tequila. Let's do a very high-end, because you could see on the horizon Patron was starting to work. So we, we decided we would do it, and um, we didn't want it. We wanted. We didn't have any. We didn't want to dedicate resources, manpower. So I said, "Listen, I, I, Hawaii is where we control. I have some restaurants here. I have a, a good relationship. Let me get a guy to buy a thousand cases and import them, and let's see what we can do. And that way, where there's no risk, no sweat. I wasn't sure. I really wanted to go back to work, but I can't help myself. So um, we. I went to the distributor here. I guaranteed him that if we didn't sell the 1,000 cases, I would pay him for it. And uh, we brought it in, but it, it, got, it took months and months to get our bottles ready and get our permits and get it shipped across. And by the time it was coming, I was doing the Rolling Stones um, at Aloha Stadium. You know, I was promoting the Rolling Stones there, who are good friends. Uh, I used this thing I call guilt by association, where I put a famous person next to a famous person, and the fame bleeds off. So I got my 1,000 cases delivered, and they, they had come over from Pepsi-Cola, who chartered him a 747, and not, again, never being able to help myself. At the end of the shows, they said, um, anything we can do for you shows were great. You know, I said, if I could stack up this tequila by your airplane, 
and put out a little story that the only place you can get Cabo Wabo is Hawaii, and you're taking all of it back home to England because it's so good. That would be great. So we did that. We got a picture in the newspaper. <laughs> Jesus. Of course, the, it sold out in like two days. That's great. Um, but luckily for us, there was a fellow here from a, uh, a mainland distribution company, Wilson Daniels, and he was a victim of it. He saw the story, and he started calling around <laughs> frantically, where do I get this? Who's distributing it on the mainland? And um, so that led us to a good distribution deal. Once we had a good distribution deal, I sat Sammy down, and I said, listen, let's, let's really take advantage of this. Let's be smart. Like, who are we going to sell this tequila to, and how, and how are we going to do it? What we have is you out on the road all the time. So let's figure out how that sells your tequila, because you'll make more money if we can build a brand of tequila than you'll ever make on the road. And we thought about where it would go with Sammy Hagar from Van Halen. Strip clubs use a lot of tequila. Um, that music is played in strip clubs. Every town has strip clubs. Sex always sells. Sex plus booze plus rock and roll really sells. <laughs> That's original. I, I, I admit that. So we devised the show. I like to write shows, and I wrote the show for Sammy where the back of his stage was eight cocktail tables and two bars. And we went to the strip club and said, whoever sells the most amount of tequila in the next 60 days gets the right to send a girl, one of your strippers, to be a waitress on stage during the whole show with Sammy. Oh. And then we went to radio, and we, <laughs> we ran contests to be on stage with Sammy the whole time, being served liquor by the strippers. <laughs> um, <laughs> Those are the good days of PR and marketing. Yeah, <laughs> Those yeah, are the so, fun days. So, with, so every city we came to, we sort of owned the city. <laughs> so great. And we sold a lot of tequila. We had a good time. His show was fantastic because he had... You know, for an hour and a half, he had all this great action behind him with these girls in bikinis, which is very Van Halen, um, or Sammy Hagar. So anyway, and we did it all without one employee, by the way. We had no one. Amazing. Employee. I love that. Uh, <laughs> I ran it out of my office here. Could you, <laughs> could you do the same thing today? Yeah, could you use that type of marketing today? Would yeah, that work? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Well, sex, drugs, rock and roll, and booze. I mean, it'll <laughs> be well, around I mean, for a couple think, more weeks. You know, you definitely see your work. And you can do it at the high end, too. You see what, what Puff Daddy or Sean Cohn, whatever his name is, with uh, with that vodka company, the gigantic. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like your story, too, about, I think it was, it was Alice Cooper was doing a, a concert, and you wanted it to look like all these celebrities were coming to see Alice Cooper. <laughs> so what did, what did you do? <laughs> um, every time Alice would play a casino, you know, if, you, if you're been to the casinos, you know, they were always on the loudspeaker paging people. Yep. Um, so uh, when Alice would be playing, I would start that for about an hour before the concert, if we had tickets left to sell, I would start paging Mick Jagger or Frank Sinatra. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody would say, oh my God, Mick Jagger's going to the Alice show. <laughs> That's funny. Chef, no wonder you need ambience so you can sleep at night. <laughs> But that's you know, that's was, brilliant, brilliant. It was brilliant. always in my brain that you could create history. You didn't have to wait for it. Yes, <laughs> yeah. uh, that's one. Of, that's one of your mantras, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Just go, go for it. Um, you know I, what I would do is I would fantasize. Okay, uh, what would I like to see if I went into an album? I got if Mick Jagger got on stage and be unbelievable. So I just allude to it. I don't <laughs> lie to the audience. 
Jeez. <laughs> Once again, it's Robert Kiyosaki, the Rich Dad Radio Show. We're speaking to Shep Gordon. He's a legendary agent of Alice Cooper and countless other celebrities, including Nobu and Anthony Bourdain and these celebrity chefs now. Chefs now. And he turns people who are excellent into stars. And that's, it is such a gift you have, Shep. His books are, they call me Supermensch, a backstage pass to the amazing worlds of film, food, and rock and roll. And it's a really good book for you guys to read, all of us to read, especially since we all kind of are rock stars in our own minds anyway. So, Kim, final final Yes, I, I wanted to just ask Shep, so to our listeners, um, what are some tips that you would give or final tips you would give our listeners who it's, want to who want to be branded, who want to brand themselves, who want to market they, themselves? They should start with start with a the book. They call me Superman. Yeah, That's start where it with starts. That. you got to get it into start your brain. That. And then check out the chickens. <laughs> <laughs> I think the, the most important thing is to try and uh, self-examine yourself, to try and reduce to a couple of words what you think your connection is to the audience you're looking for. For In the case of an Alice Cooper, it was um, rebellion. Mm. Mm. In the case of Teddy, it was sex. In the case of the chefs, it's it's um, enjoyment, uh, satisfying evening, great experience. Hard to define in one word of a chef. Yeah. But it's really getting it down to the simplest thing, and then making the choices for what you do that reinforce that bridge to your audience. But you have to really be able to get it to be something that you, that's simple and that you really see. What what I'm sure in in every business. That's interesting. You know? Yeah, that's really interesting. A couple words because I I look at uh, at the Rich Dad Company and and Robert is the rebel of education, mm-hmm. and he's been branded that and, way, and people respond to that. And then you know what to do. Yes. You always know what Robert should be doing in a certain situation. I treat myself differently as Superman Shep Gordon than as Shep Gordon. I never know what I'm supposed to do. I know what that Superman Shep Gordon's supposed to do. I see. I know what my audience is, what appeals to them about that character. Final, final question. What's your view on Trump? I mean, he is definitely a character. He's a- um, I'm having a difficult time with it. Um, I, I feel like it's, it's exposed this gigantic um, divide between um, almost everything that half of the country believes in and the other half doesn't, what? and it's it's hard to. It's so wide ranging, and it's it's um, it's really difficult. It's really tough to see the choices that are made to see fifty percent of the country cheering it and fifty percent of the country booing it. So, is he a branding genius or is he a polarizing agent? I think he's an unbelievable star, and Steve Bannon is a branding genius. Mm. Wow. Okay. Got it. Genius. Got it. So one. It's, it's, it's like I read this article on Al Capone. They said he was smarter than uh, Lea Iacocca. He, he was a genius, yeah, possible. Yeah. but he was on the criminal side. Right. So it's really kind of interesting. But, I mean, if you read, if you that you know, from again, it, it, it fifty. Steve Bannon. They asked him in the Hollywood Reporter. I don't know if you saw the story. Who his heroes were? Mm-hmm. And it's Darth Vader. <laughs> oh, Jesus. But he believe he feel he truly means it and you can see what he's you know he believes that our government should be 
um, broken down. And he's doing it. And 50% of the people say he's right. There shouldn't be a, an EPA. It, it, human beings, I just saw, I was watching a senator this morning, human beings do not affect our climate at all. Wow. And, you know, you know, growing up in Hawaii, my property, Kim and I live on Diamond Hood, and our property, when I was a little boy, used to be beachfront. There was a beach in front of it. Today, it's oceanfront. No, no, so you see the effect. Yeah. And then yeah. they say, there's, there's no global warming. Going, wait a minute, there was a beach here, now there's no beach here. Yeah. So, I mean, those are the kind of issues that, you know, right. I, for me, it's almost everything I believe in. But do you have to be that black and white to be a brand, you think? Like Alice Cooper being a rebel? I think in some ways the the, big, the more brand-specific you are, the bigger you can get. So Alice Cooper being the rebel and Trump being Trump, Yeah, he gets no, bigger. Trump, I mean, I, uh, I, I think um, Banyan is just a genius. Why do you right. say Banyan is a genius? Because he tapped into this anger. Mm. Um, and he's got the perfect guy doing it. Um, it it's... It's very difficult to always not tell the truth. <laughs> it's it's not easy, um, and he has no compulsion about it. That's very rare. Wow! Uh, and, and that's what you need is a person pushing your agenda is to have absolutely no moral compass. And I'm not saying it's the wrong side or the right side. I understand. Um, but that's the type. Alice is that kind of a spokesman sort of for what we do, his right. character. But you also said that Alice is a good character. You know, Alice off stage is fantastic. Yeah. Nicest yeah. man I ever met on stage. You say he doesn't he doesn't, apart. he doesn't do drugs and all that stuff, but no, everybody he thinks do he does. You know, nothing. <laughs> so anyway. He had one bout. He did have he had a, a, a year bout with, with drugs. He was an alcoholic. Right, right. Drug of choice for many people. Yeah. So, Shep, I want to thank you very much, and, you know, aloha from Hawaii. And I, yeah, thank I, you. And also, he is featured on Netflix documentary. You should watch it, Supermensch, The Legend of Shep Gordon, produced by Mike Myers, and he's the author of his book, They Call Me Supermensch, A Backstage Pass to the Amazing Worlds of Film, Food, and Rock and Roll. And we thought it would be a good for all of you entrepreneurs out there because it does help to be kind of a celebrity. I mean, you have a brand. And, you know, I've... I rarely talk about this, but in the world of selling, the worst thing to do is be a salesman. Above a salesman is a marketing person, and above a marketing person is a brand. So when I find people who are selling, 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 it's because they don't have a brand, they don't have any marketing. So years ago, I decided I, I really needed to be a brand and uh, that's what we are today. So it makes selling really easy. So if you have a hard time selling, I would get Shep Gordon's book, Call Me Superman, Show Backstage Pass, The Amazing Worlds of Film, Food, and Rock and Roll. And he talks about all the crazy things he did to become, make his guys brands. Because most people aren't brands because they're too conservative. They're too afraid of looking bad and all that stuff. You know, like the chicken head came off during Alice Cooper's show. Everybody still talks about it years afterwards. Alice didn't know the chicken couldn't fly. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, read the book. They call me Superman. Show backstage pass to the amazing worlds of film, food, and rock and roll. And don't be afraid to make mistakes. So you can submit your questions to ask Robert at richdadradio.com. 
So, and and you know what Shep is talking about. He you know he branded people. He branded rock and roll. He branded chefs. But then he went out and took his same skills and his same expertise, and he branded tequila. So his message is um, applicable to no matter what business you're in, you can still apply his principles to, to your business. That was funny. He gets the Rolling Stone 747. He parks all this <laughs> all the tequila, tequila in front of us. So they, we're taking it back home to London. Well, it was a little stretch of the truth. <laughs> well, but maybe they, maybe it, it did go back on the plane with him. <laughs> Hopefully Which it did. Which is a point is that I think too many people, like you know, he doesn't care for Trump, but Trump's not afraid to let you think bad things about him. That's a big difference. First question, Melissa. Our first question today comes from Louise in California. Favorite book, Cash Flow Quadrant. Says, Robert and Kim, both of you have mentioned going to college, attending seminars, and reading many books. Where have you learned the most about business, and what knowledge have you used the most in entrepreneurship? Well, first of all, I didn't learn much about money and business at school, and that's my big complaint. You look at what, what's happening in the world today. You have all these college kids going to school, coming out with super high debt levels, looking for a job. Haven't they got the message yet? There's no jobs. So you need to be entrepreneurs. Yet our school system is still programming, teaching people to be employees. That's nuts. I mean, even Hastings Law School, a prestigious school for the University of California, has just reduced the number of enrollees they're taking in because there's no jobs for attorneys, which might be a good thing. But haven't you got the message yet? Go to school and get a job is as obsolete, as obsolete as it comes. And we're still pumping out people going looking for jobs. That's really stupid. Any comments, Kim? Yeah. Um, the, way I, the way I've learned is just by doing the real thing, getting out there every single day and practicing, practicing, being in the world of business, being in the world of entrepreneurship. And I'll give you a good example about school versus real life is in college – I took. I was in advertising. I took a media course, how to buy radio and TV, things like that, in print. Um, I just in. It, it was all theory. It was a book. It was a professor. It was all theory. I couldn't get it. I got a D minus on the course. I just it, nothing clicked. Well, of course, my very first job out of college is in the media department of an advertising agency, and within 24 hours, I got it. I knew it. I understood it. But the theory and the lectures did nothing for me. But getting out there and actually doing it in the real world, that's what it takes. So what I liked about what Shep Gordon said, you know, he's very upset about Trump and this school vouchers. And he says, the education system is going to sink below the waves from here on in. So a person like me, I think that's a good idea. Now, this doesn't mean I'm anti-education. I think our education system is obsolete, run by obsolete, antiquated dodo heads. And as exactly as Kim says, these guys teach from theory and not reality. They're not pragmatic at all. Why are we paying them for? We spend billions of dollars for education, and kids come out still looking for a job that doesn't exist. And afraid of making mistakes. And afraid of, afraid of failing. And afraid of speaking our mind. So I love what Shep says. He says, man, you better, you sort of said you got to be true to who you are. So he's very pro-education. I'm on the Trump side. We should have vouchers and let schools compete. And if the schools do a bad job, well, you don't go to that school. But why should you be forced to go to school if you're not getting what you want? Next question, Melissa. Our next question comes from Sue in Adelaide, Australia. Adelaide. I love Adelaide. It's a great city. Favorite book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. She says, if you love doing everything, interested in lots of ventures, and have lots of skills and enthusiasm, how do you know which one you should focus your time on if you've invested a lot of time and money into all of them? 
are you scatterbrained or what? <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm, I'm being very, very serious. I meet people whose brains are all over the place. They're doing this, they're doing that, and that's fine when you're younger. You know, it's called getting a liberal arts degree in college, you know, which means you learn nothing, you learn a little about nothing a lot. But eventually you grow up. I think the biggest problem, the biggest mistake people listen to is do what you love and the money will follow. That's not true. You have to do what it takes and the money will follow. That means doing sometimes things you hate doing. Like the number one reason people are not successful financially is they don't study money. I don't, I'm not interested in money. That stupid little thought keeps you poor. So the reason I wrote Rich Dad, Poor Dad is you have to understand a financial statement. Income expense, asset liability. That's all Rich Dad was about. Well, I don't want to study that. Well, then you're screwed for life because the financial statement is like your report card on life. But for Kim who plays golf, your financial statement is your golf score. And it's your golf score, the financial statement's your golf score on money. And most people, they have a FICO score, which they don't even know what that means. But the average person doesn't have a financial statement. So I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, da 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 But do they get a bookkeeper? Do they put together a financial statement? No, because they want to do what they love rather than what they have to do. Look, sports fans, we live in the real world. The real world is made of money. You can say you don't like it and all this stuff. But try going to a supermarket and telling the, you know, the clerk, I'm here to collect my groceries for free because I don't like money. I mean, grow up. Really grow up. So a lot of people have to grow up, and sometimes you have to do what it takes. Comments, Kim? Uh, and I would say to Sue, um, Shep actually said it in our interview. He said about what it takes to be a star. He says, you, 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 you choose what you do really, really well. Choose what you do really, really well and then get great at it. And I think you just have to choose, <laughs> Sue. You got to choose something that you're really good at, and then commit to it and get really, really good at it. Otherwise, um, you're going to be like a, you're going to have, you just have to choose what you're really, really good at, and then get great at it. I think that's it's simple. And I suggest people, you know, like for some people like to cook and all this. And Shep said it about what Trump talking about this voucher program coming in, this end of school system as we know it. I really disliked school, and you know that. I don't say go get an education, but I dislike the way school teaches people today. So part of my why I gain strength is I'm true to who I am. You better be true to who you are. You know, if you think I'm the biggest idiot in the world, knock yourself out. A lot of people do. But you better find something that really turns you on, not flip through the posies like a butterfly through life, okay? So someday you're going to decide, well, this is important to me. This is how I can serve my fellow human being, and this is what I want to do. Otherwise, you're just this little butterfly floating through the daisies, having a good life, which is fine too, but that's your choice. 